The Golf.com podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code GOLFING at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament for up to $10. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal. Pay for your ticket and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code GOLFING for $20 off your first purchase. I mean, a typical day for him might be, he told me, spending four hours, uh, uh, if he were 100% healthy, four hours in the gym and then go out and practicing and playing the rest of the day. He's a swing geek, and he's really, obviously, you know, into the game in, in that way. And it's about as deep a way as, you know, you could be, I imagine. And, uh, you know, I, you know you could, I'm sure he could talk for hours and hours and days and days and days about that. Greetings, and welcome back to another edition of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bastable, and on today's episode, we're dishing out yet another serving of Tiger Woods. I know what some of you are thinking. More Tiger? He hasn't played a tournament in months, and he hasn't won in more than two years. What more could there possibly be to say? Plenty, as it turns out, and that is thanks in no small part to my guest on today's podcast, Lauren Rubenstein. Avid golf fans, in particular avid golf fans north of the border, will know Lauren as the dean of Canadian golf writers, but about a week ago he became known as something else, the guy who got Tiger Woods to talk. If you weren't hiding under a rock, you likely heard about Rubenstein's piece, which was published last Thursday on Time.com. And if you follow the game closely, you likely hung on every last word of the interview in which Woods expounded in great detail on a variety of topics from his health to his kids to his aspirations. Tiger's never been the garrulous type, at least not around the media, which is what makes the interview so remarkable. So, how did Rubenstein, Rubenstein pull it off? What was Tiger's mood like during the two and a half hours uh, that Lauren spent with him? And what parts of the interview were left on the cutting room floor? Lauren joins me now from his home in Toronto to address these questions and more. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, as I just mentioned, there's, there's obviously been a ton of buzz um, around this interview. Um, pretty much all of it positive, I might add. Um, you know, anytime Tiger is at the center of a story, obviously it's going to garner attention. But uh, did you expect this strong a reaction? You know, I didn't really know, you know, how extensive the reaction would be. And I, I suppose I didn't anticipate this. I mean, obviously from writing about the game for so long and following Tiger, I know the intense interest in him. And um, I did anticipate because he opened up on a variety of subjects he hadn't really discussed at any length before that there would be um, quite a strong reaction. But it's probably been even more than I thought, you know, pretty much right around the golfing world and uh, especially the first uh, five, six days or so. It just it was unstoppable. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's uh, it's been interesting to see for sure. The, anybody who thought that uh, 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 interest in Tiger was diminishing, uh, I suppose this proves that that's not quite right. What, what has the uh, what's the last week been like for you? I mean, many of us in the golf industry know your name and your work. Uh, we have for many years and decades. You were the golf columnist for the Globe and Mail for for I think more than three decades. Um, but this piece obviously has reached uh, far beyond our little universe. Uh, have you been receiving lots of calls from people like me trying to squeeze more information out of you? Oh yeah, I mean just this morning already, uh, Alan. I did an interview, kind of a 15-20 minute interview with Irish Radio. I was on BBC Scotland, I've been on all kinds of radio shows across Canada and in the U.S. Uh, it's uh, then. 
course, with social media and, you know, Twitter and Facebook and email and people who know me and text and direct messages, it really, you know, it, it hasn't stopped. And, you know, it's all been about, you know, the same tenor that uh, congratulations on getting the interview and Tiger opening up and so on and so forth. And we've seen a different side of him, him now. So uh, that's uh, it's, it's, it's really, as I say, until the last you know couple of days or so, it uh, hasn't stopped. It was just one uh, interview request after another or I'd go on Twitter and you get these notifications when your Twitter handle comes up and you know, I, I, there'd be 15 of them. And then I'd kind of look at those and then finish with those and there'd be another 20. And that just continued. I don't even know somebody, a young friend of mine, a millennial, he's my <laughs> go-to millennial guy, a writer, a golf writer up here. He told me, he says, well, you've gone super viral. You're trending on <laughs> Facebook. You're trending on Flipboard." So uh, that was, that was interesting. I wouldn't even know how to find out I'm trending on Facebook. Yeah, and this is, this is obviously going to be going to be a part of your your legacy. I mean, not to say that your your golf writing career by any means is 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 finished, but uh, is this is this something? I mean, I imagine you're, you're very proud of this um, of this interview. Uh, I mean, does this does this rank at the top as far as your uh, you know things that you've done in your career? Uh, I'd have to say it's uh, you know maybe the most significant interview I've done. Given the person, Tiger, given um, how he's been at the center of the golf world for so long, given the range of, and, and magnitude of his accomplishments, um, given, all of the, given all of the speculation about him, uh, that, uh, and, and given what he's going through now with the injuries, given what he went through, uh, what happened in 2009, um, that I, I think it's the most significant uh, interview, given all that. I mean, I've had lots of many, many one-on-ones with obviously with Nicholas and great players over the years, the books with Nick Price and David Ledbetter and so on. Um, but uh, in terms of just probably the timing and the, and the way it's all kind of cohered and came together for this one moment in time, I'd have to say it's the most significant interview of, of my you know time writing about golf. And what kind of relationship, if any, did you have with Tiger during during his prime? I had a cor- cordial relationship with him as a journalist to a golfer. Um, I, uh, back in 1997, uh, uh, when he just had turned pro in the summer of 96, as you know, uh, IMG had a dozen writers down to Bay Hill to spend a day with Tiger. I think they felt that might be a good idea for Tiger to get to know some of the writers that were involved then and uh, for the writers to get to know Tiger maybe just as he was coming into the pro ranks. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I was down there. There were 11 American uh, golf writers and myself. So we spent a day with uh, Tiger, you know, kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, breakfast, lunch out on the range with him. So, you know, I saw him uh, in a casual, laid-back environment before he really, I mean, he'd, he'd been a pro for six months and already won a couple times, but uh, before he really got into it. And then the next year, he that uh, in 97, of course, won the Masters by 12 shots, and I was there. And uh, <clears throat> so it goes back to that uh, extent. But you know, other than that, it was just really a, somebody sitting in the press conferences, um, talking here and there, asking him questions. I did have an interview with him, a breakfast with him at Isleworth, uh, a few years ago with uh, John Paul Newport from the Wall Street Journal. Um, and uh, other than that, it was I, I did do an emailed interview with him uh, for my um, book I wrote about Mo Norman uh, a little while ago. And I also did the same when I did an article on the for uh, Golf World, I think it was, on the Tiger Woods Learning Center. I went out to California for that. So, you know, I've had, uh, but, you know, it's, it's been a cordial and I think respectful relationship. Let's put it that way. Now, as a, at least a couple of observers have pointed out, that the most remarkable thing about this interview is that is that it happened at all. Uh, I know you've 
laid this out already in a couple of interviews, which I've read. But for our listeners who don't know, give us take us back to day one. How did how did this thing come to be? Well, you know, I obviously knew uh, that Tiger was coming up to his 40th birthday, and um, I approached uh, his people many many months ago uh, to suggest that um, you know I'd love to be kind of in the ring there, um, putting my pitch in to do an interview with Tiger to sit down and talk with him to do it at some length. Uh, and, uh, it really went from there. There was, um, uh, you know, there wasn't really a lot of back and forth. There was one conversation I had with, um, with Mark Steinberg and, um, that was, uh, that was a few months ago, I think back in September. And then of course, Tiger got, uh, had the surgeries, the second surgery, and then the third follow-up procedure. Um, so we set it back a little bit. Originally I was going to go down and maybe, See, uh, be with Tiger and watch him, you know, maybe be on the range with him, watch him play in the evenings, these sorts of things, do that kind of thing, talk to him in that environment. Uh, but that wasn't going to happen anymore after the surgery. So we decided on the, uh, we went uh, with the, the Q&A format, which I think was, you know, really good in the end, because the whole idea, I think, from their point of view was that they wanted, they knew that there'd be all of these articles coming up at around his 40th birthday and around the question of speculation about whether he'd play or not play, what's happening with him. And they felt that he should uh, talk um, for himself on the record um, at some length, um, uh, at least have one one that out there. And uh, so they gave me the uh, really extensive and exclusive access to him and uh, just really went from there. But it wasn't complicated in terms of uh, any of negotiations or anything. They agreed that there would be no conditions on the interview. Uh, and it, uh, we just, it was, I, I always told them, and I told Time Magazine that I considered it, I wanted it to be more of a conversation than an interview. It would be in a Q&A format, and that's how it turned out. And which and and, and that I think made it quite um, quite sort of easy and comfortable. It was just we were sitting around a table and uh, talking for an hour before lunch, and then having lunch and talking through that, and for a few minutes after. And before I knew it, it was almost two and a half hours. And now, if you'll pardon the interruption, we're going to take a quick break from my conversation with Lauren Rubenstein to talk about FanDuel. In the old days, there's a good chance your fantasy season was already over by now. Everyone but the top few players in your league had long since dropped out and stopped playing fantasy football. At FanDuel, you can play fantasy sports for cash against other fans from around the world all season long. It's super easy to play. Each player in the league is given a certain value and your team is provided a certain salary. Now it's up to you to play general manager and build a winning team. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. Here's our special offer. When you use the code GOLFING at FanDuel.com, you can enter a no-risk tournament. That's any contest offered on FanDuel at up to $10. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel will refund your account for more play. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. So head over to FanDuel.com today, and don't forget to use our code GOLFING for that special deal. And now back to my conversation with golf writer Lauren Rubenstein. So that's interesting. This was this was originally going to be be a narrative which would have forced you to to take some sort of an angle or or have a point of view. Um, I don't. Did you get? Did you do enough reporting to? You know, I'm curious if you had written it as a narrative. How, how do you? How would you have? Uh, how would you have spelled it out? Do you think? Uh, well, I don't know really because it never really you know it, it didn't come to that in the end. But I would have approached you know, various publications. Uh, I always wanted to do it in a non-golf uh, publication or non-sports publication because I always didn't want him, you know, I, I wanted there to be uh, the opportunity to talk to him about all sorts of subjects, really. Um, you know, you couldn't you couldn't really do anything 
uh, you wouldn't want to do anything that was going to hold up and reflect the guy at this time in his life without talking about some personal things because if you didn't they would be if they weren't in there it'd be conspicuous by its absence i think you'd agree to that uh and so um you know i mean i just felt that I mean, I love golf. I'm a golfer myself, and I was really, you know, hoping that I'd get the opportunity to be out there while Tiger was hitting golf balls and talking to him. Because, for example, I found in the book I did with Nick Price and other articles I've done over the years, I'm sure it would be the same if I were covering a musician or an actor. Um, You know, when do you want to see them? You want to see them when they're really uh, out there doing their thing. Like with Nick, it was great doing the book with him while he'd be out there hitting golf balls in Florida at MacArthur. This was before MacArthur at the Floridian. I think we did a lot of it down there. And um, uh, it's the same with, uh, you know, when I did a book about uh, being around Mike Weir up here in Canada, who's been so popular, and talking to him out there while he's doing that. But uh, it it didn't really matter because I think that um, uh, the whole point was to have Tiger open up. And as it turned out, he was in his own environment, you might say, just like he'd be on the golf course. He was in his own restaurant where he feels very comfortable. And so it was was just as easy. Did you pitch it as as a time... Uh, magazine interview did you was time on board first or was tiger on board first no tiger was on board first i mean i wouldn't go to any publication without having the access right, and right. knowing i'd be doing it with tiger that'd be kind of pointless really and then and then how did it go from there did you did you sort of then it just went from there you know we we contacted uh, time and uh you know found uh, the editor there was interested in it it okay. seemed to be the the right kind of publication and um then it just was uh, a matter of, of getting it done and finding the right time after his uh, after his um, surgery. It, you know, when it you... happened, it happened fairly quickly. I mean, it was yeah. November fifteenth when we finally decided. Uh, well, when you know, this was the time Tiger would be available, and so I had to get myself down to Florida to see him on November twentieth. Yeah, and and doing the interview for uh, sort of a mainstream news publication did that did that in any way color the the questions, the types of questions that you asked. I didn't really color the questions. As I said in the follow-up, the little piece I wrote yesterday for our Canadian Golf Magazine score up here, um, it meant that I had to balance um, the real inside golf stuff with um, more general interest um, sort of thread to the conversation, you might say. So, uh, you know, I think I think we managed to do that and to achieve that balance because Times readers, you can imagine, a lot of them, um, you know, would not be into golf at all. They're readers, but they would obviously know the name Tiger Woods. Uh, so they might be reading it, you know, just because they're interested in Tiger, even if they know nothing about, um, you know, what he does, uh, you know, the, how he performed on the golf course. They'd know, know he's been a champion and so on and so forth, but the ins and outs they wouldn't know. Then a lot of the time readers would be golfers, so they'd want to read the inside golf stuff. And then there'd be all the, all of the other people out there who, because of um, they can, everything is you know online right now and they could see it, um, would want to read about golf stuff too. So, yeah, it was a, it was a question of uh, – meeting those uh, or fulfilling those purposes, I think, was the way way I put it. But it wasn't difficult at all because we were always going to talk. Everything was always on the table, and we were always going to be talking, conversing, and going from one subject to another. You, you told my SI colleague here, Richard Deitch, that uh, the final transcript was about 20,000 words, um, only about a third of which made it to um, you know, the final cut. So, so what happened to the other twelve or 13,000 words? Well, as in any long conversation over two and a half hours, there's a lot of, you know, kind of talking and oohs and ahs and da 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 and stuff you wouldn't use anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of the the rest of it was either elaboration on on some subjects or 
to inside golf, really, you know, to include in Time Magazine, really. I mean, and uh, there's a lot of that that I find really interesting that I think golfers would find really interesting. I mentioned a couple of them uh, yesterday. Um, so, you know, that's just, you know, sitting there, really. I mean, in the transcript, that's, uh, I mean, is that as, something? as Richard, Richard said, it's just, yeah, it's right under 20,000 words. Is that something you, you might plan to use in the future or, or publish elsewhere? I don't know. I really haven't decided. You know, the reaction to this has been so strong. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It's, uh, I'm glad I have the material. I'm sure I'll find other forms in which to use it. Uh, but I really haven't decided exactly, uh, you know, what I'll do or, you know, maybe I won't at all. I, I just don't know, really, honestly. I, I don't. It's been only a week ago so or so ago that it came out. But it's it's kind of fun for me to read it and look at it and, you know, kind of see how he approaches the game and some of the things he's done and some of the way he practices. And, you know, I'm kind of inspired to get down to Florida and start hitting golf balls again. Of course, that happens anytime you talk to a golfer when you haven't played for a month. Yeah, for sure. And and what, of of that material that didn't make it, is there anything, any themes you touched upon, or anything interesting that um, that Tiger said that you could share with us that that didn't make the final interview? Yeah, he talked about um, you know just for example his his how hard he practices and works. He spends, I mean, a typical day for him might be he told me spending four hours. Uh, uh, if he were 100% healthy, four hours in the gym and then go out and practicing and playing the rest of the day, uh, that sort of thing. So it's an all-day you know, all event for him. We also talked a lot to a certain degree about um, you know, his equipment. He remembered every golf club that was ever in his hands from the time it seemed like he was a kid. I mean, a, a child, five, six years old. He talked about using his mother's, uh, some, some of his mother's clubs. He remembered the name of them. He talked about his father. Um, um, kind of coming up with a way to calibrate the kind of equipment the Tiger would need to use at certain ages. He talked about how the clubs were so heavy that uh, his, you know, he couldn't feel the kick in the shaft at all, really, until he for for a long time. And that's the, one of the reasons that he 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 feels that um, to get any kind of uh, distance, he had to learn to spin his hips and get so hard to his left side. And you know, you see that now, obviously. And that's how he, why he talked about, which I did include, saving shots, that sort of a thing. But he feels a lot of that was dictated by the equipment he had when you know, when he was just a kid. So, you know, there was a fair bit of stuff. We you know, we talked a fair bit about, um, not so much about architecture, but about his love uh, of Lynx golf. That was interesting to me. And, you know, it seemed to me that the more creative he has to be on the golf course, the more he really just gets into it. He mentioned that he wouldn't mind if there were some tournaments, um, you know, on the tour of, Again, this creative side of him, of him of wanting to express himself of I uh, forget the exact quote I don't have in front of me here, but it was something to the effect that he he'd be he'd be happy to have two or three tournaments a year where they played with, you know, a half a set of clubs or even you know persimmon clubs, uh, wooden clubs and and ballata balls or whatever. It just shows you the confidence he has in himself to hit all kinds of different shots. At the same time, he said, um, you know, there's um, there'd be no reason to kind of go back to those clubs. Why wouldn't anybody want to use the latest modern clubs as well as you could? But he's pretty much using the same shafts he's used for many 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 years so all of that to me as a golfer was quite interesting yeah and that th those are those are definitely topics that you know tiger obviously obviously has the reputation for being tight-lipped in press conferences but when you got him going or when he was at his best it, it tended to be him talking about um you know if not equipment uh course design uh you know even the history of the game Th those to me were sort of three themes that that Tiger, Tiger would you'd actually get pretty good, pretty uh, colorful answers from him uh, in you know in a public setting. Yeah, you know he's just he's a swing geek and he's really obviously 
you know, into the game in that way. And it's about as deep a way as, you know, you could be, I imagine. And, uh, you know, I, you know, he could, I'm sure he could talk for hours and hours and days and days and days about that, really. And now we'll take another quick break from this podcast with Lauren Rubenstein to give a shout-out to our sponsor, the SeatGeek app. The NFL season only has a few weeks left, so don't miss out on seeing your team in person. When you head over to the stadium or your favorite concert venues, try the SeatGeek app. It's easy to find the best deals, and now with the code GOLFING, you'll get a $20 rebate. Here's how it works. Download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and light on your data. Then you search for your event, find the deal for you, enter our code GOLFING, and when you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will pay you $20 via check or PayPal. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. It also knows the fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. So to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code GOLFING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. So for the NFL, the best concerts, or the NBA, try out the SeatGeek app, and don't forget to enter our code GOLFING for $20 back. And speaking of the NBA, for all the best insights and color on Kobe Bryant, LeBron, Steph Curry, check out Chris Mannix and the Open Floor podcast. It's essential listening for any basketball fan. Every week you'll hear expert analysis from Chris and a slew of great guests, from current pro players and coaches to fellow journalists and former players. Open Floor, SI's NBA podcast with Chris Mannix. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, and SI.com slash podcasts. And now back to my conversation with golf writer Lauren Rubenstein. You know, one of the, one of the questions I would love to ask Tiger, you know, during those years when he was living the lie, the double life, you know, I, I would be so curious to know, you know, get a truthful answer from him about what that was like mentally, like what sort of burden he was carrying around. Did, did he live in a constant state of fear that, that he was going to be outed? Or did he, you know, did he just feel so superhuman or invincible or even, even entitled at that time um, that he felt that he was almost sort of beyond reproach? Um, I, I, I don't know that that's a theme you guys got into, but uh, I would be very curious to know the answer to that. No, it's a very good question. You know, we didn't get into that. And, um, you know, you, see, uh, you know, it's a very good question. I mean, was he able to, I mean, I guess he was able to compartmentalize his life or who knows what. I don't know. It's a fascinating area from a psychological point of view. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that would be a tremendous line of inquiry if we were ever willing to open up about that. But we never actually, I never did ask that question, so we didn't get into that. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's the thing. As much ground as you guys covered, there's probably, you know, you're still probably just scratching the surface. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. You know, I mean, two and a half hours, it sounds like a lot. And, of course, it is. But, I mean, if you're, if you're really wanting to get into somebody's head and if they really want you to and want to open up and uh, you know you're going to spend a lot more time than that because you know you're going to as you say scratch the surface and get into some subjects and um you know get you know kind of you know r running down uh you know a few yards but you're not going to get to the finish line with all of those i think you said he 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 sort of happily answered every question did, did, did was there any question that gave him pause or you know he was a little hesitant to to answer or get into uh, the only time I really ever felt that, I think it's in the transcript, uh, I think it's in there, was uh, where I think it was where I was asking him what specifically um, he was working on. Around, I forget if it was around his short game or around Sean Foley, what they were doing. Uh, 
and I think it was a short game, and he said uh, something like, "Well, I'm, I'm not going to not going to get into that too too much, but what I can say is that he's something like I've never." It was shocking to him. I asked him, were you shocked by that about what was going on with your short game? And he said his short game's always been his buddy and that sort of a thing. But I, as a golfer, was interested in, you know, kind of the technical details of what he might be working on that. And, he, you know, that, uh, you know, he didn't get into that. That's that's classic Tiger. I mean, he, he would never, you know, reveal too much about his game, uh, whether he was playing well or, or struggling as he has been the last uh, last couple of years. Yeah, no, 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 he didn't, uh, we didn't get into that, but, you know, he talked a lot about just being mentally tough out there and the kind of state he gets into and how you can see fear in other players' eyes, that sort of thing, and, you know, that's, uh, that was interesting to see, really. Do you think he would have done this interview? Uh, you mentioned that you sort of had this hunch because he was turning 40, he might, you know, be at this sort of contemplative stage, which, which uh, turned out to be a good hunch, but I'm wondering, if he was still playing well um, at this point in his career, uh, do you think, and I'm asking you to obviously speculate here, but do you think he would have uh, agreed to this and been, been as uh, expansive as he was? I mean, it's possible. As you say, I can't say for sure. I don't know what's in his head. But, um, you know, you, I think most people would agree that, you know, over the last number of months or so, maybe not since he's been playing so much, you know, you've seen kind of a, a more relaxed tiger around the media. And uh, But whether he would have been willing to do this if he were still playing, I don't know. You know, perhaps not because he's, He'd be focused on playing, you know. When are you going to find the time, really, you know? Yeah. Um, but now he's sitting, sitting around and uh, not doing much, and getting. He used the word reflective, so I guess you know he was more open to it. And that way, it was um, obviously uh, 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 an opportunity, you might say, for him to think about things. As he said, he you know never really you know he's been surprised by when he thinks about about how many tournaments he's won around the world through the course of his career doesn't think about it too much but i guess that's just the uh the elite athletes mentality you know we on the outside as journalists or people following these these athletes we think about uh you know wow look what they've accomplished and they're going for jack nicholas's record and so on and so forth is you know imagine if you're i don't know if you're interviewing some you know fantastic writer i don't know you know gay talese or your i don't know joan didion or something they they're probably not thinking too much about you know the last 20 books they've written or articles they're thinking about what they're working on now and the next one i think that i think that's fairly true for just about most accomplished people until they get really quite a bit older or they're not involved in doing what they're doing anymore only then would they reflect uh, on it you know yeah you know, because I, I, I've always wondered if he's just, if he's been so guarded, he almost used that as a, uh, you know, as a weapon. Like he's, he's thought, he's almost felt like he intentionally didn't want to let people in because, you know, uh, I don't know. He was just so focused. Uh, well, I think on, that's possible. You know, it's very, very possible. I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I mean, yeah, I think he'll just be as intense as ever when he comes out. But if he, you know, I mean, if he can get back to being really healthy again and coming out and playing as he really wants to, he's no has no intention of re retiring. That's for sure. But he wants to give himself every chance to get healthy again. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how badly, uh, I mean, uh, what he shows on the golf course. I don't know. I think we'll be able to see it on the golf course. So you've, so you've, Lauren, you've checked Tiger off the list. Who's, who's next for you? Anthony Kim, Phil Mickelson. <laughs> Mickelson would be good to talk yeah. to in an interview like this. I think so. Yeah, he's a pretty entertaining guy for sure. Um, Anthony Kim, you know, that's I'll leave that for Alan Shipnick. <laughs> is there? But is there anybody in in your career who who you've not not spent a lot of time with that you that you would like to sit down with? Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, 
Nick Faldo, I've gotten to know pretty well over the years. And when he was playing his best golf, I always thought that Faldo would be the one guy that I'd like to go um, and really talk to about the game. And then he lightened up when he got involved in the media on the other side, so to speak. But, you know, I've, I've talked to him about the game here and there, but never uh, to this extent. It would be interesting to talk to him, I think. And David Duvall, obviously, I would have loved to talk to David yeah. Duvall. I've gotten to know him a little bit. And I think he'd be a tremendous uh, um, person to talk to really in, intensively about the game if he were willing to open up. He'd be maybe he'd he'd be maybe the one guy. Well, I know I know your main concern now is working on your own game, so we're gonna let you go. Absolutely, I know, yeah. I know you're heading down to Jupiter the next day or two. So, uh, uh, want to thank you for your time and, and congrats again on the interview. Thanks a lot, Alan. Appreciate you having me on. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Galt.com podcast. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes or at si.com/podcasts. I'm Alan Bastable. You can tweet me at at Alan underscore Bastable to let me know what you think about the show or to suggest any guests for upcoming segments. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you back here at the same time next week.